Hello and welcome to Camp Scary and Squee, a podcast that tests my theory that every horror movie exists on a scale of divine camp to pure terror. I'm your host Damien and each week I'm joined by a guest who brings a horror movie for discussion, dissection and classification on the Camp Scary scale. My guest this week describes his perfect horror film as having someone else watching it so he's not watching alone, a good mad magazine spoof because he was too scared to watch them as a kid, and of course, closure. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much, Damien. Excellent to be here. It's wonderful to have you two talk about a very, very good, we're going to say camp horror classic. Yeah, and definitely on the camper side than the horror side. Yeah, which sounds like it's sort of where, where you like to sit on this genre. Cowardice is my specialty. Before we get started as a bit of an icebreaker, what has been haunting you this week? Well, I think, and it actually does feed into a little bit about, about doing this uh, podcast, but for me, it's, it's a broader theme around polarisation, and I think that's something that has haunted me today, and I... I know that with this, I don't know when this podcast will actually go out. So I'll give you some options and then you can edit in the right one. But we've just heard that uh, Donald Trump has COVID. Um, option two, we have just heard that Donald Trump has died from COVID. Option three, we've just heard that Donald Trump has developed superpowers from COVID. Um, but yeah, we've got this situation where something's happened and it's already within like two hours, it was, thank God, I hope he dies, all the way through to, it's the Antifa have spiked his, mic- his microphone and that's why it's come through. And it's just this insane level of polarisation where everyone just has to go from one extreme to another and there's no that nice happiness and that positive stuff in the middle. So that's kind of, yeah, that, that's what's scaring me. And but for me to be part of this podcast, I kind of thought that I know that, that horror movies are purely the, um, the realm of psychopaths and, and, and miscreants. And I just wanted to try and come in and provide a bit of balance and light and just let people know that even normal people can enjoy uh, baby scary movies. <laughs> normal people, particularly because, you know, compared to me. Mm, uh, I, was, I was drawing comparison. <laughs> it's, it's a very good point you raise. We have, as a society, becoming everything's becoming more and more kind of black and white. You're either for it or you're against it. And the, there just seems to be a lack of, of nuance in the world. And... Uh, this need, and I, like I say this with no shred of irony that I have created a podcast all about classifying things as uh, horror movies, but we have this need to classify everything. Everything has to be in its box and actually not many things actually fit in a box. The world is complicated and people, people don't like that, I think is, is the kind of. It's a lot harder to fit into 280 characters. Yeah, yeah that's true. I want to give you the honours. What film have you chosen to discuss this week? Look, I think film downplays it. This is a masterpiece, and this is Gremlins 2, the uh, sequel to Gremlins. Yes, well, quick stats on this. Uh, released in 1990, written by Charles Haas, directed by Joe Dante, who directed one of my favourite camp horror films, The Burbs. I'm not sure if you're a fan, but just a masterpiece but also starring from the for a couple of returning characters from the first film, Zach Gilligan and Phoebe Cates, John Glover, Robert Prosky, Robert Picardo, who we would know as Dr. Lewis Zimmerman from Star Trek Voyager, and Christopher Lee. Also just looking- Lang, Sorry, can, can we just discuss Christopher Lee's character name, Dr. Catheter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I feel brilliant. like that sets us up pretty comfortably for where this is going to go. Yeah, like th- this film is 
is really like it's it's leaning quite hard into something which might be uh where this next stat comes from so the film grossed 41.5 million dollars uh that's on a 50 million dollar budget so they they didn't do as well as they wanted to nor did they do as well as the first one which uh made 212 million on an 11 million dollar budget so i think there was a sense of we've got a you know gremlins was a success it was like six years earlier we've really got to get back on that gremlins money and maybe maybe it didn't quite deliver and we can like i think this is an iconic film yes and and again we may go into this but my understanding is that they approached him to to, to, um dante to to direct the second one and he said i'm not interested so they went off to find other directors and they eventually couldn't get it to work and they came back to him and he said if you give me complete creative control, then absolutely I will do Gremlins 2. And I think that's what I love about this movie is that it has so much batshit crazy stuff going on that you go, yeah, that clearly did not have a studio saying yes or no. This was just someone's idea and it just flowed from there. And I do kind of, I, I always feel as though that having a singular vision for um, a project, for an artistic project is often so much better than having that committee view. It can go off the rails completely but it'll go off in a unified way and i feel like that's probably what this movie does i think what we could say is that it absolutely tries to do everything yes 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 a a lot happens but before we start talking about it one last thing the imdb description for gremlins is the gremlins are back and this time they've taken control of a new york city media moguls high-tech skyscraper i think that tells you everything you need to know (laughs) Yeah, it's laid it out. And and a quick spoiler warning, uh, we're about to talk about this film. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it. If you are going to continue without watching it, you're going to have, I mean, I say ruined, but like it's not, I think we can all guess what happens in Gremlins 2. Yeah, it's not an M. Night Shyamalan twist at the end. Isn't there? No. (laughs) (laughs) Or is there? Just to get us started, I thought it might be a good chance, you know, in your introduction that, that you sent through sort of what you look for in a horror film, I think one of the, the things that you sort of stuck to is that you're not, not a huge fan of horror. You don't love to be scared, but there is a really strong crossover between horror and comedy, both from a, a filmmaking perspective. The techniques you use in comedy are often similar to the techniques you use in horror. Uh, but also that there's often a crossover in that horror comedy is a real subgenre of both of those. Uh, what, what about it appeals to you? Um, I think, and I was kind of thinking about this, and to me horror is a lot like country and Western music in that I don't like it in and of itself, but so much of what it feeds off into other projects I really, really like. And so, you know, I, I might I don't like country and Western, but I love Johnny Cash singing Trent Reznor, and I really love The Breeders, and there's, you know, that sort of weird parts of it that, a tweak towards me that I really like. And I feel like horror um, can be the same thing. There are elements of it that, that really work and the, that idea of building suspense. And so like, oh, like Alien, I don't know where that fits into that horror sort of sci-fi suspense, but on that suspense side of horror is what I really like. And I, I kind of, obviously this movie does not have that at all. This one, to me, it was because you, the idea of camp, you were sort of looking at something that was on, on a spectrum. And I reckon when I watched this, I had no idea what camp was but there was something about it that had such a distinct sensibility that I think now I can recognise as camp, but it was just something that stuck with me. It didn't, you don't need 30 gremlins singing New York, New York, but my God, it stays in your mind and really helps you. You know, like it, it doesn't drive the film at all, but it was just such a, a wonderful thing. And saying that 
literally since then when I watch it, my brother, my younger brother and I, we still quote lines from this movie. And anytime I hear New York, New York, I, I think of Gremlin singing it rather than, um, than Old Blue Eyes. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I see that. Well, our, our opening, as with every film, you know, they, 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 the whole purpose to open a film is to set up as quickly as you possibly can. And I think this film does a pretty good job of it. We, we open with Mr. Wing. Uh, returning to his his store uh, where he sells. Uh, look, this, this movie is dated very quickly uh, in in how they refer to Asian people. Uh, um, but in his store, he, he is visited by Forster, who brings with him a television so that he can play a video with a message from Mr. Clamp. And we're seeing hints of Gizmo, our... Our Maguire, uh, Mogwai, Mog- I can never say it right. Well, I'll go with Mogwai, Mogwai but that's just because yeah. the band by the same name. <laughs> uh, Gizmo is sort of hide, hidden under, uh, under a, a little blanket in a cage, um, but we, we hear him. And, and Mr. Clamp, uh, in what is just the, the most kind of <laughs> extravagance, like wasteful extravagance, sends people with TVs that he gives away to play a video once. Uh, VHS, it's yeah, great. It's brilliant. Where he is telling Mr. Wing how similar they are and how if Mr. Wing would just sell his uh, his lovely uh, little store to, to Mr. Clamp, he could build an amazing mega structure rather than what is currently there. I wish I could remember. What was the name of the project? It's got, it's got like an awful play on Orient in it somehow. It, it is. It's... Oh, something of the orient and it's yeah. like uh, it's automatic yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh, mr wing of course doesn't want to sell but we we do get this kind of foreshadowing that well he's very old and he's got quite a cough he might have covid that was the funny thing watching it there's all these little things i'm like oh you can't do that oh, no there's people coughing and sneezing and carrying other people's tissues and yeah yes oh my god when when the when Doc, was it dr catherine <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. takes that tissue. I was like, no, no, you're going to get sick. <laughs> I look, I thought, I thought one thing we could talk about, you know, this, this, this initial introduction before, before we talk about Mr. Wing dying and, and, and Gizmo having to sort of make his, his next step. There is a distinct correlation between Mr. Clamp, Daniel Clamp, the real estate and media mogul and one Mr. Donald Trump, current president of the United no, States. No, sorry, I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that at all. But you, so you're saying that this uh, ruthless um, uh, developer from New York who has towers named after him and has a five-letter name that ends with MP and ends up having an affair with someone named Marla at the end is somehow based on Trump? No, no, no sorry. I'm no, not there's nothing there. No. <laughs> no, I read a really good article for uh, where they interviewed Joe Dante. In fact, there were a few when Trump was running for president. So before the election in 2015, he, <laughs> he was sort of saying, look, we never thought he'd run for president. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was just a parody. But th- there are some real correlations with it. And, and you get it later when he's like ringing up his assistant and going, let's write some memos about how great I am. <laughs> I remember from during that campaign, like, wow years later, um, them talking about him ringing up the press and, and bigging himself up with them as like a kind of PR person for himself. Uh, and I thought it was quite quite funny, but also little did we know. Yeah, and I kind of wonder whether that played at all to people 
at the time, whether people kind of got that reference. Because, I mean, like, he was kind of big in New York, but he wasn't big anywhere else. And I've always, there's a few of those things. From, like, for me, the, the flip side to that was Leonard Moulton, which, you know, again, spoilers, like, he's in this movie and his role in the movie is to be on a TV show reviewing Gremlins 1 saying how much he hated it, which is true. He hated Gremlins 1. But I had no idea who Leonard Moulton was when I watched it because, you know, we didn't have that same exposure to it every little bit of American TV. So I do kind of wonder whether people actually got the Trump reference or whether even if people did, whether they would sort of, he was big enough at that time to actually be a point of reference. Well, yeah, like this film is made with, with all of these very cultural references that are very American, but also very New York centric that makes sense now because we live in this much more globalized society. But back then, like in 1990, when this came to Australia, were we all just going, oh, that's funny. Like, that's a, I guess that's a thing, but we're mostly just yeah, laughing at the gremlins sure. attacking the, the movie reviewer. And, you know, it kind of, the, the movie reviewer hating gremlins was a nice trope that you didn't need to know who Leonard Moulton was in order to, to, to make that connection. But it's still, there was de- something deeper there that we hadn't picked up. They must yeah. have given him it's a like lot of money. Again. I'm sure they did. And like I said, he genuinely didn't like it. Didn't like the first one. So yeah, it was, that was great. <laughs> Look, Mr. Wing dies. It's very sad. Gizmo's, that puppet has a lot of range. <laughs> He's sitting there having a cry, but it's very short-lived because the the digger just like bursts through the top of the shop. I did like it. No, no attempt to be made to sell any of the goods from inside the shore, shop or clean it up. It was just like bring in the excavators. So yeah, I like that. Who's got time for exposition? Just smash it down. Maybe, maybe just check if you had a dog. No. <laughs> no. The guy's dead. Let's just go. And Gizmo escapes out to the street. He's a bit, he's quite sort of badass in this in that he like, you know, he gets, he gets into a bit more of an action sequence compared to Gremlins 1. And those, those weird science twins find him. Yes. Um, I did, I couldn't work out if they were clones or twins that were introduced to like, how is the cloning program going? And then for laughs, the second one appears. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think they were still meant to be twins, but yes, that, that was, I quite like that little reveal. Yeah, and we we get reintroduced to Billy and Kate from the first the first film, you know, and and life has changed for Billy and Kate. He's working in the marketing department as an illustrator. Yes, that, that I couldn't quite work out, but yes, he seems to be his job is drawing things for developments. Yes, well, I, look, I mean, developments have artwork. Uh, but I, don't know, I, I guess that's kind of how the job would have been done in the 90s. Yeah, but I, my memory was he worked in a bank in the first one. I'm like, okay, well, okay. He did, and they talk about it. He's like, you know, a if creative we're, if we're still our hometown, this one. <laughs> yeah, I would have been promoted twice at the bank. <laughs> um, and Kate is working as a tour guide in this incredibly high-tech tower that is so high-tech that it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Ev- like it's <laughs> they've got the, the cutting edge of everything, which means they also have the bugs of everything cutting edge. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed the uh, voice activated lifts as well. Yeah. Um, and we also meet, for me, the best character in this, who is Marla, is uh, Billy's boss in, in the marketing department. Billy, just because I, I have no idea who that actress is, nor have I really, se- I don't think I've seen her in anything else since. She like, she does a very good job with the most complicated dialogue. And also shoehorning in one of the most baffling accents I've ever heard. It's sort of, uh... <laughs> yes. uh, from, from the first, because, you know, she's, um, she's saying to Billy, like, oh, they've changed the design and they've, they've brought forward your timeline. And, and he's saying, well, you know, I, I need to do this work. And she's like, you've got to see this from my perspective. I'm hearing your problems and, you know, that's not my problems. And she says, I have to have a complete situational overview outcome perspective. It's like, this is just 
it's just synergistic talk, you know. It's those yes, yeah. Six the sigma. Is on the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's just saying words, but they sound convincing. They sound convincing, and they sound very important. Mm-hmm. It's it's. I feel like it's what you know. If you asked a like a twelve year old to be like write write dialogue between office workers, <laughs> and they've been sitting at home with their mum and dad on the phone all day, and they're like. Oh, I know. I know what people in offices say, and they're just like yeah. I, I complete think situational overview outcome perspective. Put proactive and a couple of paradigms in there, and I think mm. we would have been well and truly nineties business speak. Definitely. I, 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 this is all to set up this kind of Big Brother style office where Forster gets upset because it's an unauthorized plant. Um, I did notice that all of the other plants were kind of like sculpted plastic. Yes. Yeah. I, and I, I don't remember any of this from the first time that I watched it. So yes, all this went completely over my head. And, and I think it's because I'd never worked in the office and that idea of actually having something that you could personalise and, and then the need for a corporation to depersonalise everything, that was completely over my head. Well, just the... Oh, so two things stood out in this. One, scanning his barcode to find out who he is. Yeah, but, that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, but also... <laughs> Just when he's like the the art by an, a known person, and he points it, just like someone's gotten some masking tape and like marked out a triangle, painted, taken the masking tape off, and gone. Here's an art. Here's modern art. Enjoy. Yeah, um, I, I I enjoyed both of those things. Having worked in offices where you know they're like, here is our art from this very famous artist, and you're like, okay, it's, it's great. Huh? It's really bad. Uh, well. But- but then also, like, I have been in an office where if you don't move around, the lights turn off. Yeah, um, I've, you and I've probably experienced that. Um, and then also just that thing of that one of the cleaners is complaining about how every second of his day is being watched and marked. I'm like, oh, well, you know, there's, there's sort of Amazons and things like that with their call centres are mm-hmm. doing the same sort of stuff now with their, sorry, with their um, distribution centres. Like, oh, wow, there were a few little foreshadowing things. I'm like, oh, I played. No, you picked up on that. You saw that coming. I Look, I remember working in a... A very like a in an office that was in this huge building. So yeah, lots and lots of different companies in there, and the building management one day sending everyone a an email to pick the new lobby art, and it was like the art itself didn't matter. They but what they sent you was like essentially a list like these three artists, and it was how famous they were. It's like this is the most awarded awarded artist from Germany, and they they are willing to do this piece that's going to portray the phases of the moon, which is so important because so many of our clients are like, work late. Are werewolves, like <laughs> it's a werewolf based art wouldn't be such a bad thing. I mean, I feel like I'd support it more if it was werewolf based <laughs> yeah, absolutely. art. Absolutely. And oh, and so then we head up to the control center, and we see this process of they catch someone taking a, a cigarette break and report it to Forster. And he like gets on the, the speaker and tells the guy he's fired for taking an unauthorized break. Um, Was he at all familiar to you by? He, by he way? is the, um, the villain in the verbs. I can't think of his name right now. Yes. Because he's also the, um, the lead Nazi in the blues brothers. He is. Ah, <gasps> oh, he's, it's so funny. Every time I do one of these episodes, there's always like someone where we're like, oh, and this person who you don't know, except the second you see them, you'll know who they are because they're just in everything. And this guy you see via uh, basically a security camera. So you never actually see him clearly. He doesn't get a single word in the script. And you're like, that's who it is. I can't remember his name either. But anyway, I, I was waiting for him to 
fly off a bridge in a uh, police car. Yeah, but <laughs> there, there are so many actors that we just that have really great long careers of just doing kind of side parts or little featurettes or whatever. And yeah, it's a, you never really get There's to know the names. Later on, who plays like I think a fire chief or something like that, but or a cop. It's one of the two, and you go, yeah, you are the perfect character face for New York cop slash New York policeman slash New York fireman. It was just great. He's just perfect. Uh, just on the subject of this trying to do too much, like my like next notes are: there's a horror TV channel, also a genetics lab, <laughs> <laughs> which we later on find out could have been three dentists and a plastic surgeon or he says like he's complaining the, the, about the fact that they had to rent the, st- the the shop front to this guy when they could have made more money off someone else. But yes, there is a genetics lab. And I've also heard that he wanted to create a hybrid cow and something else to have like a, a hybrid of a cow and a gerbil. So we could sit on a hamster wheel. They wanted to have that as just one shot in it, but it turned out it was going to cost too much. So they had to ditch it, but they do work all manner of animals and elephants and, camels into that shop yeah it's great yeah it's it, it is weird uh i guess what we get is so we we have um we have dr catheter kind of explaining this lab and and getting to meet gizmo uh that that the the weird twins found and it it is all about this kind of oh we're just exploring science for the sake of science nothing nothing is too far we're we're here to and they they show some of their inventions and there's the thing where they inject a, a rat with some kind of light energy source and then it it becomes a torch battery or something because everyone hates rats but wait what if it could power a small light or a small clock radio I think or some reference point they have like Except that the rat then like electrocutes them. Look, Everyone's got teething problems. You're going to get around that. Yeah. Uh, but but what happens is that Gizmo singing that sort of very memorable song that, that he sung in the first film and the delivery guy hears it and then is singing it when he's on on their floor. And it prompts uh, Billy to be like, where did you hear that song? Oh, you heard it from this genetics lab. And so he goes up there and says he's there to fix the copier and goes in and, and saves, rescues Gizmo hiding him in his desk drawer just as Mr. Clamp comes downstairs for the first time. It's Terrible the first timing. time he's met them. I know. This is when he decides to do a floor walk. Bloody hell. Uh, <laughs> what sort of leader does a floor walk? Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so Mr. Clamp takes an interest in Billy, which gives us this kind of this is how where things start to really go wrong. He takes an interest in Billy and therefore Marla takes an interest in Billy and wants to take him out to a restaurant. So he has to leave Gizmo behind and he has to ask, uh, he has to ask Kate to come up and, and get Gizmo while he goes out to dinner with Marla. Sorry, where, where's he going to dinner? To a Canadian themed restaurant. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, it's the hottest Canadian themed restaurant in New York. Oh, I like I'm kind of glad they didn't follow it with this, but he could have said it's the only Canadian themed restaurant. <laughs> the implication was strong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, I, something that really stood out to me and like something that dates the movie, she's smoking while she's, while they're eating. Like Constantly, all, yep. all of the indoor smoking, like I, you just, you forget 
I remember yeah. coming home from nightclubs and having to like shower immediately. Otherwise your whole bedroom would stink of cigarettes. But- I can, I can still remember uh, coming home. This is what I was living um, with my at like home with my folks and um, my mum coming to me saying, look, um, I don't mind you borrowing my car, but you're not allowed to smoke in it. I said, no one was smoking, but the smoke on our clothes was so strong that it literally just infested the, the whole car. So, yes. And, yeah. and I can also still remember the first time I went to a gig that was non-smoking and suddenly just realising how how sweaty everyone was. Like, I think the smoke used to cover that smell. It was like, well, we've replaced it with that, but we've got this new pungent one for you, so enjoy it. Uh, like, cigarette smoke, as, as bad as it was in nightclubs, like, drunk people farting has is the new problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. There's a horror movie for you. Yeah. We'll, we'll make it tomorrow. Uh, Marla's pretty keen on Billy and she, she talks, it's quite funny. She talks like she, her way of flirting is to talk business. Mm-hmm. And, um, and about herself. Yeah. Every time he tries to talk about himself, she's like, oh, just like me in that weird accent. Is it a New York accent? It's meant to be. Okay. I, I, I just needed her to say, can't you see I'm walking here? Like, it's just, it's so overdone. It's great. It's yeah. It's it's a caricature. Although everything in this is a caricature, uh, and no one else in the entire film talks with a New York accent either. It's <laughs> not even Mister Clamp. He's no, like the. No. Still, Billy finds a reason to leave, and she plants a big kiss. Right, like just missing. Like it, it's a little bit on the mouth, and and there's a big lipstick stain because she wears the reddest, thickest coat of lipstick you've ever seen. Uh, and and he sort of dashes out before the waiter can offer him some of the the what the the horn the horn of the moose that was part of the dessert. Yeah, like was it just a giant? Like I want to say chocolate mousse, except chocolate mousse is a thing. Like yeah, no, it was it was a moose's head that seemed to have chocolate antlers. Yeah. Um and they went the double entendre because she went for the kiss and he walked off, and so the uh, waiter just turns to her and goes horn madam and yeah to me it's just great it's just it's so good <laughs> um while all this is happening kate uh, oh oh we've missed the most important bit the whole reason the movie happens is that gizmo while waiting for kate to come get him uh, the frustrated janitor who's complaining about every every minute being monitored is fixing a drinking fountain and manages to douse poor gizmo in water and and gremlins is very much a film like a horror film sets up rules that it has to stick to and those rules are kind of reiterated in this one but really came from the first film that you can't get them wet can't feed them after midnight and if they get exposed to sunlight they die and gizmo gets wet and suddenly all the other gremlins start to burst well the the other mogwai start to burst out of him uh, burst out of him? That sounds- yeah, they, they, they're adorably. Let's just yeah, say that. Burst adorably. out of him adorably. They're, they're still quasi-cute at this point. Mm, but with an edge. Yeah, with an edge. Yeah. Um, they, they kind of ferry him off into a vent that he then is trapped behind. And Daffy, the dumb one, like the, the silly kind of uh, bad mogwai, um is the one that Kate comes and sees and she picks him up and takes him home. And Gizmo is kind of, kind of trapped. And, and all the gremlins, uh, all the, the others go down to 
I think it was a frozen yogurt parlor. Yes, yeah, it was, and it was just a chance to pay out on the the sort of focus of New York loving healthy food. I think. That yeah, because they were asking if the peanut butter cups were organic, oh, all natural. Yeah, yeah, are the peanut butter cups all natural? It's like, yeah. I, I well, don't. they're roasted. Roasting's the worst thing you can do for peanuts. Yeah, I did enjoy that whole scene. Yeah, pe- what is it? People in countries where they don't roast <laughs> live seventy percent longer. Yeah, <laughs> it's again like thinking of that kind of polarizing dare I say, fake news kind of world. Just this shit that people spout that you go, that's clearly not true. You said it with so much confidence. Maybe it is. Yeah. Like you've clearly just made this shit up. Um, But the gremlins are eating. It's getting later. Could be after midnight. They they don't make it clear that it's after midnight. No. And that, that I think they retrospectively they say they've been eating and it's after midnight. But yes, at that yeah. stage they're just uh, getting themselves involved in any sort of salad bar or dessert bar that could be uh, possible and are mistaken for rats slash something else. Yeah. Well, and also right here when when Billy gets home and realizes that it's Daffy, also the Futtermans from the first film show up. Why are these people staying with the kids of their neighbors in another city? Look, they foreshadowed it a little bit by saying, oh, and the Futtermans are coming to visit. Oh, like, I don't know why. Uh, I think they were such a fun character, pair of characters. They're going, let's work them into the second one as well. Um, well so, yeah. Yeah, it just, it's trying to do everything. And it's like, oh, what was everything that everyone loved and what's everything everyone might love? And let's just do it all. Yeah, let's do it again. Uh, yeah, that was quite baffling. And so uh, they arrive when the apartment is clearly being torn apart by the uh, not uh, Gizmo Mogwai and uh, who is just trashing the place. And so they, uh, Mr. Futterman, of course, had a huge issue with the gremlins last time. So he doesn't want to see a Mogwai or a gremlin. So they're trying to keep that a secret from him and sort of go, hey, look, how about you head out? Because you can't stay here tonight, uh, but you can stay here tomorrow night, which I quite like that they were just going to head out into New York and find somewhere to stay instead. I thought that was... Yeah. A nice way to do things. Yes. They they dealt with it quickly and, and they, they come back. They find a reason to, to get them back in. Uh, look, th- there's a whole bunch of things that happen uh, next. Billy gets arrested trying to break into the building. Gizmo gets tortured with the, they like pull out a, it, it looks a bit scary. Yes. And when Billy gets out, like gets bailed out by Kate and goes back, he goes straight to the control room and we then end up with this kind of, it's sort of shifting between, so Kate's taking a tour, which is her job, and they go to watch the the cook the cooking show. A, a magnificent cooking show, microwaving with Marge or something like that. Yes. <laughs> Again, like that beautiful 90s, oh, we're going to have a cooking show where you use your microwave because it's the latest. She... She talks about using, um, she using like cognac or brandy sherry, or something. I think. Sherry. And she's like in her salute to luncheon meat. Um, so she has a bit, she goes, some people use a dash and then she's like skulls a cup of sherry and then goes, I use a lot. And, and gets progressively drunker along across the, the remainder of the movie, which I really very, enjoy. like very quickly just goes from like naught to a hundred of drunkenness as yep. well. But while that's happening, Billy's trying to convince the control room and he's explaining all the rules to them, kind of reminding us of all the rules as well. 
and they're just taking the piss and they're like going, well, what if he gets a caraway seed stuck in his teeth before midnight and then it gets un- unstuck after midnight? Is that counted as eating? What if he crosses time zones on a plane? Um, and we sort of go back and forth between that woman cooking and seeing the gremlins starting to like, you know, wreak havoc, wreak havoc. Although, can I just go back very briefly? That scene where the uh, people in the control tower are asking all the questions about it. But what about, but what if, what if, what if that was one of my favorite parts? Cause I can remember having watched the first one, I did go through all those scenarios in my head. I'm like, okay, you can't eat after midnight, but when can you eat? Like what's this 6 a.m. but it's okay. What's good. And um, I, I just kind of love the way they just literally played that for last for five minutes of actually trying all these different scenarios. I thought that was very, very meta. Yeah. Well, it's sort of addressing all the audience's questions. <laughs> well, and as they're doing that and making fun of him, one of the gremlins bursts out and it's, it's a jump scare. Like if the very first time I saw this, I remember I, I was a kid, but I remember it being like, holy shit. Like, and also, I kind of like, uh, again, w- with my obsession with closure, they don't drag that we don't believe you on for too long. Like, it's basically four minutes of we don't believe you and then someone being punched in the face by a gremlin. Like, okay, good, I can handle yeah. that. That's me the closure I need. Let's move on. Yeah, the gremlin punches him. I <laughs> just sucker punches him and he goes out. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but, yeah, so the gremlins, uh, they burst through and then almost simultaneously, you know, these two scenes are happening at the same time. They kind of come out on screen on the um, on the cooking show and wreak havoc put uh, all these um all these utensils in the microwave and create this massive explosion which is just brilliant. i love the drunk woman going you can't put all that in the microwave her concern is the utensils yes yeah. where are we oh so kate and i guess we should also it. like as a as a bit of backwards the, the idea is that if they do eat food after midnight, they transform from these cute, adorable, fluffy mogwais into evil gremlins. And so they yes. have now gone through that metamorphosis and they are now evil gremlins. We still have our mogwai in, in gizmo form, but the remainder have all turned into evil gremlins and they all have slightly different um, character traits in terms of how they look. Mm. Uh, at this stage, they, they, have, they all slightly different to each other um, and they've sort of gone a couple of dumb yokels. There's a couple of uh, evil looking ones with slightly spiked hair and things like that. But it's about to get a lot worse. Yeah, about to get a lot, lot worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, uh, Kate gets into a an elevator that the the gremlins are kind of fiddling with. One of one of my favorite things is that it's kind of the the elevator's kind of going up, and she says, "Elevator, stop!" And then she says, "Sound alarm!" And all the gremlins start going. I like it was a nice touch, um, but also we get uh, we we get back to Mister Clamp and we start to see kind of what he's like and see those comparisons that maybe someone was intending for us to see um, that are much more obvious now. He's he's got Betty, his assistant, shredding his mail, and and he wants to uh, he wants to send out memos. I get look again. I. I was not in the workforce in the nineties. I like, I know what a memo is. Do they just mean email? I think so. Yeah. But you, you, I think it was more of a, it was sent out as a physical form to people. Yeah. That makes sense. And don't date me that much. Okay. <laughs> I remember facsimiles. Uh, I, I worked somewhere that lost its, its entire computer network after it decided to go completely paperless. And we had to go back to fax. Oh, 
for two weeks. It's great. I had a moment where uh, I had a, a guy I was working with who was applying for something and he came to me and said, what's a fax smiley? What? <laughs> and this was when people started to do smiley, like little like emoji, like what became emojis and emoticons. And, and I said, what? A fax smiley? No idea. And like, oh, a facsimile. It's, it's a fax. Blank stare. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, just leave it. Okay. Just ignore it. Just leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> Stop talking to me immediately. Uh, well, look, Mr. Clamp is making a memo about wanting one of those dragons for a, a Chinese festival to celebrate his building that he's, you know, is going to make everyone, everyone's lives better. And Betty disappears. And when he goes out there, she's been replaced by a gremlin. And, and we get this. It's so great. Like the gremlin attacks him. It's biting him. And the only thing he can do is to force it into the paper shredder. Yep. And so there's like green goo flying everywhere. He's kind of getting attacked by it. It's so like silly and stupid. And just as that happens, uh, Billy comes in and he remembers Billy because he liked Billy's picture that Billy drew. And um, it begins the kind of, we have to solve this. And you as this person with this high tech building. Um, I don't know. I've lost my place. <laughs> uh, I think then do they go, do we go to the Oh, Cause they, I think they do. Is that, is that the point where they actually identify the fact that it may be the genetics lab that is, is causing this problem? I can't remember. Yeah. They're, they're sort of revealed. suggesting it's the genetics lab. Actually, I, that is a really sort of, fun kind of twist on this something to take it further from the first movie is we go to that genetics lab and it's magnificent yeah so because that genetics lab has like no kind of ethics behind it they're just doing whatever they want there's all these kind of serums and and like you know genetic makeup of things and uh, but, but Damien, how do you know that they're genetic material and, and, and flasks of important stuff? Well, they have pictures of what's in them. <laughs> so there's a picture of a spider on one and there's a picture of a Essence brain of on another one. There's a picture of, of the female symbol for the one that gives us the lady gremlin. Uh, there's a picture of a bat. The it's vegetable so medley. put on front street. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because the guy's making an indestructible tomato. And, uh, and all yeah. the airlines want it, oh, which I thought was a lovely joke of like airline food is just absolute trash. Um, but yeah, that whole scene where they, they start inject, they start getting injected with the various things. I thought that was genius because that just gives them the scope to just throw the rule book out. They don't have to be all the same gremlins now. They can take on all these characteristics of other things. I yeah. That was quite good fun. And it gives us something quite fun to do. And, and pretty soon after that, they're all in the stock market room going, sell, sell, sell. Bye, bye. <laughs> And also, just the, the one that gets injected with the brain serum is my favourite character in the entire movie. Like, he is the one that I quote the most. He is, hands down, just my, my favourite. And, and uh, he sort of talks like Elliot Gould for no apparent reason. He has this baffling uh, English, in inverted commas, accent. And he yeah. just... Yeah. Well, kind of, kind of that, that old Hollywood voice that they used to do when, like, everyone in Hollywood had to sound a certain way and it was a way that, Atlantic. Yeah, that no one sounded like that. Like they no, just created was, an accent for this is what people in hot, like in movies sound like. I, I used to do a lot of um, uh, voiceover recordings and the, the, the term was always mid-Atlantic. Can you get someone who can do mid-Atlantic? Anytime you're doing a luxury car brand, we need someone who can do mid-Atlantic quite well. So can you Nicholas do Bell, if you're still listening, well? I couldn't, but I could hire people who could. Uh, so, uh, very soon gremlins go wild, people flee the building, and we have what I would describe as the worst part of this film, 
mm-hmm. which is where it gets interrupted by the Hulk Hogan. Oh, that, come on, come on. That was, <laughs> this is where I was like, this is why, like, this is the, this is the one idea too many where the film ends. I, I kind of liked the gremlins making shadow pat puppets and, but then he's like, I'll sort this out. And they go and get Hulk Hogan. Who's like, I don't know. I just, I was so, like, oh, so come on. This is where so all your money smart went. enough not to have seen um, this movie. At this point, they cut to being inside a, me- a movie theatre and the gremlins actually uh, start destroying the reels of the, um, the movie that's being played and swapping them around. And from what I can understand, if you actually saw this at the cinema, it suddenly felt as if the gremlins had destroyed your movie, the movie that you were watching suddenly got distorted. Um, and apparently, like, and then because I watched it, I've, the video version was slightly different again, so that it made it feel like it was more like a video type thing. But it was this weird thing where they suddenly broke down the fourth wall via Hulk Hogan. And so suddenly uh, Hulk Hogan is there and uh, wearing a wrestling shirt that he rips off promptly and then yells at the Gremlins that they better put Gremlins 2 back on and play. And, and while it's not playing, there appears to be a black and white nudist uh, movie about volleyball, which is just magnificent. Um, uh, again, n- there was no need for this whatsoever, but they decided to leave it in there. And, and, and that to me is when a studio has no control, that scene does not get cut. It's great. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, it, it's just a situation where they needed someone in the room that was the person who said no mm. and fought them on every idea so that only the good ideas got through. And instead they were just like, what about if we have Hulk Hogan? Great idea. Do it. Throw money at it. We have to. This is why it cost $50 million to make this movie. Cause they were just like, yeah, Hulk Hogan, let's get him too. Let's, let's, you know, just. Well, between that and the electric special effects that came later on, I feel like that's where probably where about 90% of the budget went. Actually, it's something we did skip over is that one of the gremlins had the electric rat thing and turned yep. into electricity and then came up through the wires into the office and they caught him in the phone and put him on hold and that's how they contained him. And they tortured is- him by making him listen to the hold music, which I also quite love. Yeah. And it's, that's very important. We probably shouldn't have missed that because that's kind of a, a key to... <laughs> it's a loaded gun on stage. Yes. It is. Um, who's the... Um, Chekhov. Chekhov's gun. Mm, yes. Exactly. Yeah. You don't load a gun unless you're going to use it. Uh, so we hatch a plan. Grandpa Fred Munster. <laughs> oh, who's great. Who Who is doing the uh, late night um, movie show. And he's just been bumped to even later because no one wants him to be there. But he's real. We find that his real dream is to do news reporting. That's what he always really wanted to do. News reporting on current affairs. And, uh, and suddenly. chance. Mm-hmm. He, he, he manages to take a stereotypical um, Asian Sorry, Japanese tourist who clearly must know a lot about uh, filming and photography because he spends the entire movie taking photographs is suddenly now his cameraman as well because he yeah. knows how to use a camera. Well, operating like off. a television camera, which is not yeah. like yeah, not only is this exactly the same as the handy cam you had earlier. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's the same thing. You don't need any special skills. No training. You can patch it in. You can go live. It's fine. It just does it. He just does. Uh, and he starts reporting. And, and he has a, um, while, while, um, <laughs> while all the movie is happening, there's this little secondary uh, kind of story happening where Fred, Grandpa Fred is is uh, interviewing the, the brainy gremlin about their wants and needs and them wanting society. 
Now, that, of all the lines, like my brother and I, we, we do quote movies quite a bit, but that line where he goes, what do we want? Well, what we want, I think, is what everyone wants, and what we want is, is civilization. And then this, he goes, now, for example, take this, and there's this annoying teenage-looking little gremlin that pops up next to him, and he just turns around and shoots it in the face, and it dies. He goes, now, now, was that civilised? No. Fun, yes, but not civilised. And, yeah, that to me is just, uh, I don't know why. And, again, it n- did not need to be in the movie, but it was so great. And just the fact that around the rest of the building there is just people being bitten in the ass by gremlins. There's fights. There's gremlins everywhere. It's absolute chaos. But the two of them are just sitting in these chairs carrying on this wonderful sort of talk show chat about what they would actually like and why the gremlins are there. And, um, you know, these desire to, to, you know, go out and all the things humans have, like, you know, Sontag and, and also, you know, to, Something along the lines of there are, you know, the, I, I, I love New York plays and the street Sontag. Like, see, drops that in for no reason. Well, but it's also a- like Sontag is, is all about, you know, Sontag, fam- Susan Sontag famously wrote on camp and this is this incredibly camp film and it's like re- referencing the thing that kind of analyzes yeah, it. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we'd love to go and see some New York shows and, and, and street crime. I think we can see that for free. But yeah, anyway, I just, I love that whole scene. It's it's very self-aware like it's like this is the second film and we're like we're we're really leaning into this uh they hatch a plan mr clamp takes his secret exit which i i kind of loved him popping out of the ground from this tree in this little tunnel which also gives uh mr fetterman a way in um, and also we get Gizmo's kind of Rambo montage that he's sick of being pushed around by these gremlins. And so he's like doing his, like his push-ups, his press-ups. He falls through the floor at one point. Yeah. Because for some reason, lifting a weight above his head somehow made him heavier than he was originally and yeah. falls through the floor. It's great. It's really good. Uh, and, and we, we get all of, all of Gizmo's work and training, which I assume, I mean, it looks like it's, it's months of training, but. Absolutely. It's a montage. It's a montage. But it, it, it's all to save Billy, who's been knocked out and dragged to a dentist's chair. <laughs> by, I think it, it's it's by the, 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 like, silly gremlin. The, the yes. One, yeah. one with the slightly kooky eyes. Yeah. Uh, and Gizmo comes to the rescue, which is very good to see. <laughs> I just, I don't know, I find it so cute that they're, like, Oh, yeah, he'll do, like, some push-ups, and then he's going to go fight all the other gremlins. Absolutely. And he even uh, manages to fire an incendiary arrow at... Yes. Uh, the- oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. How did I forget about the arrow? Because, so, Marla gets caught by the spider gremlin that drank the spider thing with the picture of the yep. spider on it. And then Kate is also caught. And Gizmo comes with this bow and arrow, flaming bow and arrow, shoots, shoots the spider gremlin up in flames, and then the fire sprinklers come on. Uh, no, I think they just leave him burning. Oh, they, they just leave him off. burning. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and for me, it was really funny watching that scene because I can still remember the sound of the spider. Every time the spider gremlin is on, there's like a sound that they have. It's like an insecty type sound. And as soon as I heard that again, like, oh, I remember that. Like whatever the sound design for that was, definitely uh, a 1990s Chris Reed got a bit scared of. Yeah, well, it's, it's the kind of sound that kind of gives you that kind of back of your neck tingly. Yes, mm, yeah, something's, something's not quite right. Something's going to drop on me. Yep. Kate then talks about Lincoln. God, that was great. Yeah. Again, that had no need. (laughs) It just was not needed. They're just like the the movie, like it's pacing, 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 hard stop, brick wall. 
Kate going, don't mention Lincoln. It was Lincoln Day. I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was the age where I really loved peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And there was a man in a top hat. <laughs> and they're just like, okay, okay. You could come okay, on, okay. go, on, go, go. No, no, he was wearing a raincoat. I'm like, oh, my God. Because earlier in the movie, a gremlin has jumped out in front of her and flashed her and she has just sunk the boots into him. Yes. Mm. Oh, I, I didn't even make that link. And I've got a weird feeling in the first one, she had a similar story and that was kind of really pivot. Oh, her dad in the first movie, I'm all, I could be getting this completely wrong. Her dad disappeared and then they found him six months later because he'd actually tried to climb down the chimney to surprise them for Christmas and had broken his neck and got stuck there. And so she had this incredible personal story that sort of drove part of the first one. And I feel like they were just taking the piss out of that one in the second movie by working in this story that no one wanted to hear and that just didn't help anyone. Just completely pointless. Yeah. Oh, and he just gets literally ushered off the screen yeah, halfway through the story. Like, no, 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 no. Go, move on, move on. We've got stuff to do because the gremlins have to sing New York, New York. They do. There is a medley. Like at one point Rhapsody in Blue is playing when, when Lady Gremlin, uh, they, they ha- like make her picture with a whole bunch of little cards and then <gasps> she comes out of the eye dressed and, and the, in a stunning outfit. quite Looking like quite Carlotta. Like, yes. Yeah, the- yes, looking like Carlotta. Um, and also, just on music very briefly, there is some amazing sort of 90s metal tracks in this as well that made it re-watching it. There, there's Surprise You're Dead by Faith No More, which is one of my favourite songs of um, The Real Thing, and also um, Angel of Death by Cannibal Corpse. So, yeah, both those tracks, magnificent, and were a welcome addition to this. It, look, I think they, they, they've utilised that budget well on getting the rights to some very good music. Yes. Uh, the smart gremlin kind of, again, has that great kind of Dean Martin-y, Frank Sinatra kind of voice to sing New York, New York. Um, oh, we should say that the plan is that they've put a, a backdrop kind of thing of the night sky. So it's still daytime. The, the super advanced building has managed to wind forward all of the clocks, including the analog clocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've put this backdrop of the night sky to make the gremlins, get all the gremlins to the lobby and make them think they're about to go out into the night, but actually they're going to drop it and it'll still be daytime. Um, Brilliant plan. <laughs> There's no way this can go wrong. No, no way at all. Because uh, fortunately they had a backdrop ready to go that covered an entire building um, that was uh, a, a artwork of the night sky. They just happened to have one there. It was great. Yeah, very, very fortuitous. Covering the front of this massive high-tech, very glass building. I like. I, I'm surprised the gremlins didn't run into more sunlight. Yes, and and that I, there was a. Oh, actually, sorry. Very briefly, they did inject one of them with um, some oh God, sort yeah, of. Oh yeah, I that entirely. Like SBS thirty type um, thing that made it impervious to sunlight, and as it a was result, the one that was also a bat. A bat, and so it went out and went terrorizing New York, but specifically terrorized Mr. Futterman, and in the fight with him. They, so you can imagine a gremlin, and then with wings, they then throw him into some concrete that was being poured for something, and then the gremlin flies away up to the top of a church, at which point the concrete sets and it looks just like a gargoyle. And I was like, that's, again, bravo, bravo. Like it served no purpose. Ooh, very entertaining, though. But it was a way to get a gremlin out into the sun and then mm-hmm. have it not be a problem anymore so that the movie could continue without having to tie up that loose end. There, there were no loose ends. No. Again, coming back to why I love this movie. 
Uh, also, you get to watch people reacting to something that clearly wasn't there before they sort of could mark out where the thing was. And so there's yeah. a lot of people looking at the gremlin that's meant to be, but they're all looking at slightly different places. Yeah, there's uh, no tennis ball to follow. No, 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 no. It could be anywhere. Uh, Billy has a few things he has to do. So they've got their kind of plucky little crew Mr. Futterman, they've sent him off to, to get a fire hose to wet them. And it's, why would you wet them? They're gremlins. They'll all like start multiplying. That's a terrible idea. But he's like, no, no, trust me. Go get the fire hose, start wetting them. So Mr. Futterman is, is up, finds a fire hose. He uh, runs into a gremlin that he grabs and he throws down the lift. And despite the fact that he, he had not been in that building before, was from a little country town, was very overwhelmed by the city when he arrived immediately knows that the lift is voice activated and throws the gremlin in the lift and tells it to go to the lobby. Look, I think that sort of stuff, you just know. There's some things yeah. you just know. When you're in your New York City, you just know these things. Yeah, you just know that there are voice activated lifts. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we could get into companies that install destination lifts and how much they ruin people's lives and how confusing they are. Because you're like, how do I 100%. get up? There's no buttons in this lift. And like, yeah, you've got to go to that panel over there. And then that panel will tell you which lift to get into. Yeah, you haven't helped at all. No. Hate destination lifts. Uh, that's a whole other podcast. Mm, mm, mm. Yes. Coming uh, up next, Damien destination, takes on destination lifts. lifts. Yeah, it's good. Catch you. <laughs> opens the hose on the, all the gremlins while Kate, Billy and Marla are somehow retrieving a call to a random phone on the wall from Mr. Clamp's office to this. Mm, where which, our electric charge gremlin is currently residing. Yeah, has been on hold for hours. And mm -hmm. once all the gremlins are wet and they're all writhing and multiplying, Billy points the phone out and takes the call off hold and electric gremlin bursts out. I mean, you know, physics makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and all of these gremlins get electrocuted. But what I love, and I assume that they just like created like gremlin puppets with skeletons and then put them in like a microwave or something because they like literally melt, like their skin melts off. And like, not only do they melt, but one of them has a witch's hat on and goes, I'm melting, yes. I'm melting. I just like, <laughs> again, unnecessary. Oh, also, sorry, briefly back on musical. For no apparent reason, one of them uh, is, has become the Phantom of the Opera as well. Oh, yeah. that was all because they both, in one of the labs, they're, they're in there and it has acid. Yes. Sorry, the beaker has acid. Do not throw in face. Uh, so they throw in Another face. gremlin throws it in his face. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. It. I loved that. He picks it up, reads it and goes, ha, yeah. just throws it. It's great. Acid, do not throw in face. Great. Um, and, and that kind of, they saved the day. <laughs> Immediately afterwards, Mr. Clamp, who I would not have expected this, leads the SWAT team. Mm. He's now in his own SWAT gear as, as a real estate and media mogul, clearly also trained to respond in terrorist it was, and, and it was the situations. There's was, was yes. nothing you couldn't do. So, And I also did love the, uh, the SWAT team. Hop, 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 yeah. hop, hop. They keep going to different doors and getting blocked and not being able to yeah, get in. Yeah, because it's a smart building, like none, none of the doors were. <laughs> The building's too um, smart. Uh, yeah, that was great. That they come in occasionally, shoot things that have moved. Um, but yes, we, we, we do have a sense of closure. We do. And immediately he's looking for that, that media angle. He's going to write a book. He also wants to make, um, make the town 
that's Billy's hometown. He's like, oh, we should make it. It's like, well, it already exists. He's like, no, no, we're going to make it in New Jersey. New Jersey. New Jersey. There you go. You could have been Pamela. I could have been Marla. Uh, Marla. <laughs> and he says, clamp corners where life slows down to a crawl. God. Uh, but also Marla then gets her dream job, uh, possibly just because she's there. She is. Yes. He's like, hey, you can handle the PR. So she's now the head of PR. And uh, she's like, which camera? And then he turns to her. Oh, and also our, um, our Dracula friend has been given a six o'clock slot reading the news. And he, he's been uh, given a credit card to go out and buy a, a, a nicer suit for his new news slot. That was more avuncular. And I, I don't know whether that, I'm assuming that Ivanka hadn't even been born at that stage, but it was a weird choice of word to, to throw in there. Yeah, it was. It was very odd. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't remember what the, no, Ivanka would have been born. Yeah, it was just a weird, weird choice of words. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we do get the merchandising comment as well. And, okay, so I didn't get this part. I didn't know whether that was because I can't honestly remember if they made them. I didn't know whether that was a joke about Garfield toys. Oh, maybe it was. I feel like I've seen like a Furby, like yeah, suction yeah. cupped on the back of a car. I, I got that. So basically, the line is the fact that you could go into merchandising, and I, I can imagine one of these with suction cups stuck to a window. Um, and yeah, I, I can we remember must, that- like they must have released those. <laughs> that was. Um, There's yeah, no way they didn't. No. There's money to be made. Maybe that's where they made up the rest of the shortfall in the budget. Extra ten million, yeah. Uh, look, Gizmo comes home to live with them, and like the, the the movie is ostensibly over, except that Forster gets Forster calls down, and and they're going to send someone up to help him, and they once once everything's sorted, he'll get a half day off, and, yes. and he's very excited about that. It turns out there's still one gremlin left. Our our lovely lady gremlin, who we should say, we completely skipped over it earlier, like decides that she's into Forster and he's covered in like little lipstick marks all over his face. And he she comes out and she's in a wedding dress and she's walking towards him while gremlins in the background that, although they're all dead, are singing the wedding. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And and he's sort of, I guess, marrying the gremlin. Oh, I think that's implied. Yeah, and and he's not keen on the idea. He's not no. keen on the idea. He's maybe open to the idea, uh, and then he disappears off screen. So yeah, who knows what happens next? It's best not to think about it. So, yeah, that, and that's the movie. Like, <laughs> what a way to finish. Yeah. Well, I feel like it. it it's opening itself up for a, a, a Gremlins three. We can only hope. I, I can't even imagine where Gremlins 3 would go because, yeah, that, that it, it really has gone I mean, all over the place. I guess they follow Mr. Clamp to the, to the White House. Well, that's why not? I mean, it's, it's just crazy enough to happen. Yeah. I mean, no one will ever they believe did, it. <laughs> they did also have some sort of end credit stuff where, where the, char- the Warner Brothers characters were sort of like. Oh, I completely strong. missed that. Oh, Daffy Duck just pops up during the credits and throws shade at people. Like, this is going for a long time and can you believe it and all sorts of stuff like that. And then at the end, yeah, insists that Porky Pig doesn't, no, Bugs Bunny doesn't get to do that. That's all, folks, and does it himself. So I don't know why they did that, but they were apparently animated by Chuck Jones, like legit Warner Brothers ones. And there's also a guy who gets a Warner Brothers tattoo done. One of the gremlins is giving another gremlin a Warner Brothers tattoo. 
there's a few little things like that which I don't get why, but I'm assuming yeah that that was they thought must that was have been these like kind of like deep cuts about the people. Yeah, exactly. And I'm assuming that's who funded it. I'm assuming it was a Warner Brothers. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, but yeah, I, there, there were a few of those little things like, oh, I wonder, like, I don't know if that had been happening. I don't remember that as a kid actually happening all that often. That sort of like once a credit started, you could go, right, we are done. There's not going to be Avengers style, like three minute uh, little episodes at the end. No, no. Uh, I do have to ask, mm, is mm. there a campus line or moment of this movie? Look, to me, it's it's in the scene just where, where he's singing New York, New York. And while he's singing it, he has like, there's just, hundreds of gremlins around him there's lights there's confetti and then it cuts to a group of gremlins conga lining along and i don't know that to me it was just yeah it was completely it, it was it was doing absolutely everything it possibly could in that moment and in and in that kind of absolute celebration of what is camp yes yeah, yeah. And, and again unnecessarily but so aesthetically strong like it just like i can still remember so much of it and that to me is like okay yeah it's kind of flippant, but it was obviously done well enough that it stayed in my brain for, for, for 20 years, 30 years. Yeah. And is, is there a scariest moment of this for you? I mean, look, within the film itself, the, the really, I, I, watching it back, I was amazed at how little scary stuff there was because I think there was some scary stuff in the first one. I feel like this one hardly had anything. I think, I think the, the, the gremlin that is also the spider, that was probably the, the, the scariest part as, as it sort of menaced towards the people who are stuck in the in the web yeah um, certainly like if you're a little kid that yes. that's the one that kind of you know you'd be like Where, where's mum yeah <laughs> get mum um but i think on, on a broader level it was just scary as i was watching it to go i've made another grown uh human being watch this uh in order to do this podcast and that was terrifying i mean look i i will forgive you <laughs> in time in, in time. time i i need some time <laughs> <laughs> finally before we wrap up uh, where, where for you does this film land on the camp scary scale? Uh, look, if 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 it was sort of one to ten, and and camp is one, and and scary is ten, I, I'd say it's probably like one and a half. Like it yeah. has just just enough uh, scary parts in there to to sustain it. But it is yeah to me. And again, I think it's for me because I I at that age I wouldn't know what camp even meant. And so I I to me the fact that it embedded in my brain so strongly that idea i feel like that's where that's where its strength was so yeah. i'd say yep well we we, we have a, a a step two on the scale is predominantly camp and just incidentally scary which probably and like it barely like it's 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 a half step there it's not even it's it's mostly just predominantly camp yeah yeah i think that's fair enough and and I was watching it like, I reckon my kids would happily do that, except my youngest wouldn't. I think he would still be, I think there's still enough in there to actually, that would actually scare him. Um, but the first one, I still think even my, like my middle kid would be like, no, I don't know about that. So yeah, I, I think they, they definitely decided that they didn't need to be scary for this one. I was going to basically rely on the scares from the first one to carry forward and then just have a, have a whole lot of fun instead. I mean, this could be a good ISO family movie night. Gremlins mm. 1 and 2 double feature. Mm. You don't reckon you'll be able to? Mm. No, no, because I'll be the one who is uh, woken up uh, during the night to have various things explained to them about how scary things were. So, no, and I'm, I do not need that. Don't need that in my life. No, I'll happily let my kids stumble down rabbit holes on YouTube and terrify themselves that way. That's much better. Oh, yeah. Look, something I've discovered as I've, like, explored some of the newer directors we talk about on here is lots of them make 
short films that are terrifying and then just release them on YouTube for anyone to find. So one day your children will find Dawn of the Deaf and that'll be a, yeah. a, a fun conversation where you have to. <laughs> oh, no, I, I had a, a friend who used to produce for James Wan and so we used to see a lot of the stuff that he did and, oh, some of it was so scary. I remember just watching his short films and they terrified me. So, yeah, yeah, some people have definitely got a mind for it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I want to say thank you for joining me. But before Absolute we pleasure. before we wrap up, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, well, I, I I do feel that after this, people are probably going to want to keep the distance from me, and that that's understandable. So no, look, I, I will just say if you want to see um, some pretty photos, head to my Instagram, which is sumo underscore twenty one, and you can see some pretty photos there. Other than that, no, look, I think it's it's probably just forget about me. Look, I can attest that that Chris does take a very nice photo. Um, you're probably going to hate me for saying this, but you, you are a National Portrait Prize finalist is the word. Is I, it? I am. Yes. Thank you. Yes. yes. Uh, um, and I, I do do drop that into conversation. It's between that and the fact that I've done an Ironman are probably the two things I drop into conversation. You've done an Ironman? I have, yes. How, how do I not know this? Yeah. No, I did the last Ironman that they did in Melbourne. I actually, um, I did that. Um, and it was as much fun as it sounds. Of course you have. <laughs> Um, yeah, so when you do your podcast about um, 13 hours of pain, I can also talk to you about that. It'll be fun. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Call it vomiting in a port loose somewhere between um, Frankston and Melbourne. It's great. Right. Okay. I think that's it. Let's wrap up. Absolutely. So for those of you at home, you can follow Camp Scary and Squee on Instagram and Twitter at Camp Scary Pod. And if you have questions or suggestions, you can email campscarysquee at gmail.com. And make sure to rate and review Camp Scary and Squeeze so that other horror fans can find us. Thank you for joining us. And remember, don't scream. They'll hear you.